Collaborative. I'm Melissa Bittner, the chair of the NICPED membership committee. And we welcome you all to a great presentation today. We have two very experienced veterans in the field of adapted physical activity. We're scheduled for approximately one hour. First up, we have Dr. Monica Lapore. She's going to speak for about 15 minutes on adapted aquatics. After that, we have Ann Griffin, longtime APE specialist from Iowa. She'll also speak for about 15 minutes. Then we will have an open question and answer session with everyone here in the audience. As always, we are live on Facebook and we will, in addition, post to the What's New and Adapted PE podcast. So thank you all for joining us today. Also, a big thank you to the NICPED membership subcommittee. Oh, you can go ahead and click through all the names. But we have uh, Dr. Amanda Young from Long Beach State, Scott McNamara, University of New Hampshire, Heidi Ambrosius from Moreno Valley Unified School District. Um, I'm Melissa Bittner. And in addition, we have Lainey Case, University of South Carolina postdoc. So thank you again to our membership committee. Our speaker today, our first speaker, Dr. Monica Lapore, Emeritus Professor uh, from Westchester University, recently retired and um, adapted aquatics instructor. She's with, in charge of the, well, was in charge of the Starfish Aquatics Institute. She's currently still a Special Olympics swim coach, ARC water safety instructor, USA triathlon level one coach, USA triathlon level, level two paratriathlon coach. She is a very busy lady, uh, even in her retirement, and fantastic person to glean information from. Our subcommittee thought it was especially timely to have this presentation now going into the summer where a lot of our students are going to hopefully do some adapted aquatics. And so Monica will tell us a lot more about uh, those opportunities and some safety issues uh, regarding that. So thank you very much, Dr. Lapore, for joining us today. You are so welcome. Today we're going to be talking about current issues in adapted aquatics. And I just want to let you know that adapted aquatics really is the parallel to adapted physical education. Based on assessment, we do modifications, adaptations, and accommodations to the instructional environment, to strategies that we use, equipment, rules, procedures, facilities, the communication you use, the methods you use. So pretty much adapted aquatics, you know, parallels adapted physical education in the schools and parallels adapted physical activity in the community. I am currently in uh, the chair committee. We are putting together something that I'll tell you about referring to aquatic instruction and recreation. So what are the current issues that I wanted to present to you today? Comprehensive adapted aquatics and training. Uh, of course, we have COVID restrictions where we can't wear a mask when we're in the water. We have water temperature issues that still exist. Um, we happen to have a decrease in the amount of small group separate adapted aquatics opportunities right now. Let's talk about our first issue, and that is limited instructor training at this time. So one of the things uh, at 
this time that we have is we do have several instructor training programs around the country. Swim Angelfish focuses on those with autism, anxiety. We have nurturing water therapies in uh, the state of Washington. We have Movie United has um, recently put together and they call the Adaptive Aquatic Instructor a two-day program once a year. Um, many of you know the I Can Bike, I Can they do their own in-house um, instructor program. In the middle of your screen, uh, you'll see uh, the Starfish Adapted Aquatics Instructor Program that will be released in 2022. And that is something that I hope in the future I can come back on here and give a lot more information about. So here's another issue, of course. So, um, we still continue to work with vulnerable populations in adapted aquatics. We need to have a protective barrier between us and our swimmers. Um, a great article has come out related to transmission during swimming-related activities, um, a review, and um, we're talking about uh, that we haven't found any outbreaks of COVID during swimming activities, but we want to continue to be vigilant. So in my adapted aquatics, programs, we still wear masks on, on deck when we are close contact or we're doing group instruction. Uh, the athletes wear masks also until they get in. And then on, on the right, you'll see my coach, Robbie, uh, working with Bridget. And we have um, face shields that we use in the water when we're doing our one-to-one to still do some COVID mitigations, but it still is an adapted aquatics issue. I wish that someday we don't have to talk about that water temperature products issue, but it always will be. Um, so I teach at a, in a university pool. University pool is made for a swim team. So I have to wait until the swim season's over before I get really in depth in my, in my programs. Other things is sometimes I use, as in this picture, a wetsuit jacket and, and zip it up. Um, they're easily put on most people, except for those with contractures, which we have to cut the sleeve and just put Velcro around it. Fast to use the exercise pool instead of the lap pool during adapted aquatics, and that typically is um, higher water temp. And something that most of you who are in a facility can't do is find a different facility if possible. I can do that because I'm retired. I run a community-based program and if I don't like it, I find somewhere else. So I know a lot of you are not able to do that, but they're just some suggestions. So over the last few years, a few of us have been talking about that we seem to see a decrease of opportunities. And what I mean by that, the non-inclusive opportunities and those that, you know, some of you might, you know, refer to as a segregated adapted aquatics placement. Let's look at the model from the Tucson Parks and Rec. So my friend, Liddy McNeil, she does a lot in terms of adapted aquatics. And she uses this kind of placement chart uh, where she does assessment, of course. And then she kind of looks to see where the skills are what programming might match the person or older person's needs. Uh, they also have Office of Disabilities in Arizona has a placement and payment system. So if there is no, if there's nothing like this in a community-based recreation 
for an adapted physical education program that has swimming, then oftentimes are either with their same age peers without any assessment or kind of dumped into a segregated program and nothing in between. So I just want to say lately, we've just been finding a decrease in small group opportunities. And that's troubling. Um, I think it's mostly pandemic uh, that a lot of the small group adapted aquatics programs have not been coming back yet. So accessibility, what's happened is that the first round of, you know, 25, 30 years of accessibility, you know, have uh, come upon us. And we had these, we have beautiful zero depth entry pools, or we in the middle bottom picture, we have um, an accessible removable ramp. Um, and then on the left, we have a permanent lift, which is my favorite. But what's happening is that most pools are now buying these battery powered uh, uh, movable lifts, like is in the middle, like the middle picture is. What is happening is mm -hmm. that we're not finding that um, people are keeping them operated well. They get rusty. I went to two pools in the last two weeks. One of them, the battery wasn't working. And the other one, it was in a closet and hasn't been back out since the pandemic. No one's even checked on it. No one's done maintenance on it. Again, maybe the materials are there for accessibility, but in general, we're still having accessibility issues. Most the fact that these battery operated lifts more and more and no one's taking care of them. So that's a shame. Um, lack of outreach and program communities and colors. Uh, color, I have been the co-chair of the Diversity and Adapted Aquatics Committee since its inception 18 months ago. We have a core committee, but we just started these things called monthly roundtable discussions that I'd be happy to send you the link for you to sign up for those. And we have a program guide that we're gonna be putting out this year. So if you run an adapted aquatics program, we would love to have you in the guide. And again, we are still needing increased instructor training. Here are my colleagues on the core committee of the DIA Adapted Aquatics Council. Um, and to reduce the risk of drowning and improve quality of life in systemically underrepresented individuals with disabilities. That's the um, intersection that I was talking about. So there are things that we are doing to bring more and more adapted aquatics to communities of color. We are on a roll with that. Again, we are having these monthly, monthly roundtable meetings, and we are also starting to gather information on programs and then vet them whether or not they are friendly to the intersection of communities of color and people with disabilities. So I can put this in the chat or send it out, or I'll, I'll put it on Facebook under the Facebook Live later on. And it is a, a way that you can fill out this form and become part of our monthly roundtable on adapted aquatics with disability uh, diversity in aquatics. And I think, Melissa, that is my presentation for today. Great. Thank you so much, Monica. Much appreciated. All right. Next up, we have Ann Griffin. A retired APE consultant from Grant Wood Area Education Agency in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Ann Griffith 
is also recently retired. She was an APE teacher and consultant for about 40 years in East Central Iowa, providing supports and instruction to physical education teachers, uh, general physical education uh, teachers, ranging from special schools and offsite programs to peer supported PE classes. She served as an adjunct instructor for University of Iowa, Drake University Co, Cornell Colleges, and has contributed to many different texts and journal articles. Anne was selected as the National APE Teacher of the Year in 2005 and has presented widely state, national, and international conferences. Her superpower is innovating, inventing, and adapting equipment to facilitate engagement. And we're very excited today to welcome Anne to share a few lesson ideas, learns, and tips for success. Good morning, welcome. So I did spend 40 years um, in this field. I honestly, I got paid to play. I did learn a few things, so I'm going to share with you in 40 years, it's like in 15 minutes, what's really important. So lessons learned, a few ahas, as well as ongoing challenges. So thank you one for letting me be part of this collaborative. And honestly, all of you, the experts are among us. So we used to say at my AEA, and that was, a, it was a large geographic area, that if you're 30 miles from home, you're an expert. So some of you are, are farther away than that, but honestly, the experts are among us. So we all have solutions and um, I'm delighted that you're all here. So thank you for inviting me and thank you for being here. So as Melissa said, I was a, an APE teacher and consultant. When I retired, I was known as the last ape in the state. Um, and when I retired, my assignment was, see that map on the bottom? Um, so that's the geographic area of the Area Education Agency, which was a collaborative special education service provider. And that's where it is located in the state of Iowa. We grow corn, not potatoes. So we're in the center of the country. But my assignment was that entire AEA when I left. Now, that wasn't when I started, but when I left, I had seven counties, 32 school districts, 250 phys ed teachers, who also in Iowa are dually licensed, many of them don't even realize it, to provide um, specially designed instruction in physical education as well as general physical education. And of course, you only need one three-hour class to do that. They collectively teach 80,000 students in our AEA. 8,000 of those kids have disabilities and 1,200 of those kids had significant disabilities. So that was sort of where I zeroed in, but for sure, Physical educators were my primary collaborators and partners in crime. So a, um, a huge aha, which a lot of people don't understand. And, and as it said, I did a lot of training at the college and university level. And I was stunned at the number of times that I would be instructing adapted physical education and methods of physical education hadn't even been a prerequisite. And I'm like, well, how do they know what to adapt? You need to have physical education. So a big aha is that adapted physical education begins with great physical education. You must have a curriculum. Listen, I did it. I had 32 school districts when I got the whole um, kit and caboodle myself. I did just a little inquiry. Uh, only 16 of the 32 school districts even had a district approved physical education curriculum. Okay, so, and I'm not talking about... Um, 
a whole bunch of activities. I'm talking something that's tied to national standards, that's scope and sequence, developmentally sequenced and measurable. Um, you have to have killer instruction. You have to be aware of what are appropriate instructional strategies in physical education. And then you also have to be additionally aware of what are evidence-based practices for specific disability groups. That's a lot to ask of teachers. Also from an environmental standpoint in phys ed, we've got to make sure is the environment safe? Is it accessible? Can you get in? And like Monica said, we are still dealing with these issues 40 years later. And is it inclusive? And be careful when they say, we're inclusive. That can mean a whole lot of things and usually not good things. And uh, nobody pays attention to least restrictive environment. But if the kids look like they do at the bottom of this screen, they're holding their eyes, they're hiding in the corner, they won't even come in the gym, or they're in the equipment, um, possibly it is not the environment that is the issue. And so if your kids are looking like this, we need to probably do something different. So here is one of the big, huge ahas. So most, most of my time I spent working with phys ed teachers in their gyms at the moment. So they would say, okay, it's adapted PE, I have whoever. And, um, and so then we would try to figure it out. So for instance, kids with a significant autism spectrum disorder, which I loved. When I started 40 years ago, the incidence was one in 10,000. Incidence right now is one in 56. So if you guys um, are teaching, for sure you have kids like this. But a few of the things that really were key for working with this population was you needed a routine, you needed a schedule. The kids needed to know what was going on, what do I need to do, how many times do I need to do it, and you needed to have a good reason why they were doing it, and when am I done? And um, so that routine, that predictability, and then visual cues for both the routine and predictability, as well as what to do, the task, it informs both the student and the para, and what was amazing to me is once I convinced the gen ed phys ed teacher who was teaching adapted phys ed to try these techniques, then when I went back and saw them used in gen ed phys ed, I'm like, all right, because great phys ed is great phys ed. It's just a difference in kids. So what works for your really significant kids, if you build that into your gen ed lessons, it works for everybody. Another huge aha. So I worked in the Division of Special Education and about 75% of the budget went there and our agency was about 500 people. So, you know, a good 300 plus of us were working in the area of special education. And that was my ongoing professional development over the years. What, and, and I volunteered to be on a brain injury resource team first in the state and that was late 80s, early 90s. And they sent us for a whole bunch of training on brains. And I was like, holy cow, one that fascinated me. And those of you who know me know I'm now um, a pretty much a brain geek. But what also concerned me was that as teachers, I'm like, holy cow, they don't teach us anything about brains. And when you think about brains and development and neurology, motor development and sensory motor development for sure are at the foundation of all learning. So the big huge aha for me was that all of these different disability categories that we had, that we sorted kids according to and the law talked about, really what they reflect are neurobiological differences. Our brains are, at, we, they are as unique as our fingerprints. So my brain is very different than anybody else's. And so I learn my own way. So it should be no huge aha that if you teach one way, you've got two kinds of kids. 
those that get it and those that don't. The other huge aha was, oh my God, what else didn't they teach me? So my undergraduate degree was not in this area, but I got a master's in adapted physical education. I got all the practical experience I could possibly get. I got to put my own program together. And then I got a killer job. I worked and behavior management would be the one huge area that it was like, oh my God, what else didn't they teach me? So the picture on the right with Herbie double OC out of control. I was in charge of an offsite behavior disabilities program. And at one point I was picked up and thrown over a kid's shoulder and I was, holy shit, what do I, now what do I do about this? So I was completely out of control. The other thing about behavior management was the second picture. Oh shoot, you did it just like I told you to. Many times I would, uh, you know, I would jump on kids and like, you know, they, like they weren't following my direction. When in fact, they were following precisely what I had said. Like I would say, you know, run down to the stage, turn around and run back. And they would run down to the stage and turn around and then they would run backwards. And I'm like, what are they doing? So they were literally following my direction, but my direction was not really giving them the proper cue. So it wasn't a behavioral issue. It was my fault on the communication end of that. So learn from your people. In 2005, I got to be the national toy at the same time No Child Left Behind came in. And in my agency, there were five of us at that point running those seven counties and working collaboratively with PE teachers providing professional development in class with those guys. And we went from necessary to nice. As soon as No Child Left Behind came in, they fired all four of my colleagues and they left me with all of their toys. Now, our, what we were thinking, the five of us, um, was that we would universally design physical education up front, primarily with equipment. We had all sorts of grants, we had equipment, we'd been, so what we had was not like 30 basketballs, but we had all of the other weird stuff that went on with basketballs. We had a variety of goals, we had a variety of sizes of balls, we had, um, we had inventions, we had basketball shooters, we had all the stuff that schools wouldn't have. Well, then those guys got fired and I was left with half a million dollars worth of PE equipment inventions and solutions, which I wound up having to move as the only person three times into different warehouses. It was called my core. It wasn't numbered and it wasn't, it wasn't cataloged and I was just supposed to take care of it. So it was like, uh-oh, what, what do I do about this? And, and I tried to figure out how could I maximize this opportunity? So this unique challenge, I came up with a solution. So this was like I said, I was gonna retire before I had to move this damn warehouse again. And I didn't get to, so I'm like, all right, at least I'm gonna organize the equipment when we move. And so they decided to put all of my equipment in the media collection. And so we have a media collection and all of the books and videos and technology that the agency has available for teacher support goes to them on vans. It's delivered on vans to their schools twice a week. I'm like, holy cow, let's just put my equipment in a media collection that any teacher can search online and say, I'm teaching this unit, send me the stuff that goes with it. So I wanted to put it in order when I moved it. Nope, you can't do that in media. It is in the number order that it is in. And so it's gonna be all screwed up. 
So what we did was create, or what I did, this was for my own sanity, but it worked. I created the hot link here that's an equipment index. And you could go ahead and hit on that if you want, Melissa. It's an equipment index by unit and skill. And each of those are Google Docs. Now, all of this stuff is physically available for the 250 PE teachers in my AEA. And it would be easy to upscale this. It's like, listen, you're picking up science kits for three other AEAs, pick up the PE stuff. Each of these documents is a hot link to say before balls, or if you're looking for assistive devices, click on accessories, or if you're looking for things that are particularly targeted to kids on the autism spectrum, according to their sensory interest, you'll see those. So although you can't check these out, you will see in stream of consciousness and in picture form for each of these areas. And it may give you ideas of how you might adapt any of this yourself. So it's an enormous resource. People have always said, you know, hey, we need to, you need to write a book. And those of you that know me know I won't sit down long enough to do it. But this is about as close as I came. Some of these I've been gone for about a, a year and I know this hasn't been updated. I may volunteer to do it. So there are some glitches in it, but there's a lot of good stuff on here. So feel free to use it, add to it, um, think about it, but it's, it's an amazing resource. And I know it's the only one in Iowa and it may be the only um, resource like it in the country. Oh, so here are just some of the other things. So accessories that I referred to, we had a partnership with Rockwell Collins Retiree Volunteers, so real rocket scientists, and they invented stuff for us and then gave us the plans. So those devices are there and the plans, our links are there. The turn-ons, um, that's like, how, how do you get those kids that won't move with autism? How do you get them to move? And how do you get the ones that are on the ceiling? How do you get them calmed down? And then just a few of the areas that you could click on each of those. Oh, and this is just, this gives you a visual. So ping pong, um, so I sort of expanded ping pong to also, if ping pong tables are up in the gym and kids don't play ping pong, what else can you do with them? So it's ping pong and ping pong table games. So again, a visual of the weird stuff that you would get um, if you checked it out from me. So the iPong machine um, and the ping pong ball picker up or that is a kill. If you haven't seen those, check them out. And then just a box of weird ping pong stuff. So gives you an idea of the range. Okay, and this is an ongoing frustration. Okay, <laughs> I started, um, I probably did an in-service in this field in 1974, which was when in, 90, in 95, PL 94142, which later became IDEA, was enacted. So this is not a new law. But in Iowa, it's like I've been working in don't ask, don't tell. Um, and um, we literally, we just got guidelines for the state December 18th of 2020. They are now posted. So they are state guidelines about what we should do related to this not new law in Iowa. We have the rules now, but we did a soft launch um, means they're posted on the DE's website and we're not going to train anybody about them. So there's still no accountability. We don't check anything. Um, so that's same as it ever was in an ongoing challenge and it continues to honk me off. So what can we do about that? Share the rules. So one, if you have rules in your state, share those. Make sure in my state, my phys ed teachers don't realize these IEPs are legal documents. They're service providers and they're liable for the service. 
So there are issues. Special education directors don't really understand this. Curriculum directors don't get it and they're two different systems. So you have special ed that has this one system and curriculum directors that have a different system and gen ed and special ed don't necessarily coordinate. Make sure building um, administrators know. And your special ed teachers, they have not been trained either. They're like, well, we just mark general because we have general PE teachers. So they don't really know. It is, we don't tell anybody. Make sure your colleagues know, and for sure, make sure parents know what are their rights. Remember, we are on their side, they are on our side. We share their students. As you see down here, it says, you must be Timmy's dad, I'm Timmy's teacher. We, they need our help and we need their help. And they are the people with the power. We don't sue in Iowa, we're Iowa nice. So you, you have to remember honestly that the system that we're trying to impact was designed with all of these kids not in mind, which is why we've had to deal with the exclusion, segregation, integration, inclusion, because we didn't design physical education or any curriculum for that matter up front with everybody in mind. And if we did really universally design curricula, we wouldn't have to be dealing with that. But um, I love those graphics and I've worked in all of those settings. They all have advantages and disadvantages, but remember the system was designed without any of the kids we work with in mind. So this is Anne's ongoing battle. Physical education, this, this continues to just really, really honk me off. The physical education, it is not an educational priority. It, it, right now, physical education could solve a myriad of issues that school districts are dealing with, that teachers are dealing with in terms of stress and anxiety, students are dealing with. They don't need to be taking surveys. Oh, do you have any thoughts about you know, depression? Um, it's like you could ask a physical educator, say, hey, have you noticed any changes in these kids? They can tell you very quickly. So there's a hot link there on the why. I've been keeping lists of journal articles detailing what why would why should physical education benefit um, kids? Why does it? Um, again, this seems to be even though the research is has been strong since two thousand, hardly anybody pays any attention to it. And it's like this is first and foremost the best thing you can do for your mental health and your anxiety. Um, it is great for your health. It is wonderful for all things. So why is physical education? sort of looked at as you just provide prep, when in fact, um, physical education, as well as the other specials, probably those instructors know more about all the kids in the building than anybody else. So there's a lot of research, make sure people are aware of it. So thank you. Um, thank you all for what you do. Can the, the question continues to be, how can we all play? And there, we all have solutions. I hope I gave you a few today and I hope I didn't talk too long and I'm happy to answer questions. All right, thank you, much appreciated. Thank you both. And thank you all for joining us at this time. We will go ahead and open the floor for any questions for either Monica or Anne.
I'll start. Uh, Monica, I have a question. We were talking, so in New Orleans, a few of us were at the pool and we wanted to go and make sure that the lift was working. So we went over and, you know, the battery was working. It was great. But then we started this whole conversation and someone mentioned that if putting in accessibility items was too costly to an organization, then they didn't have to actually abide by that law. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know. Of course, you know, um, the the Americans with Disabilities Act has the reason we have reasonable accommodation. Of course, there's not a bullet list of what the word reasonable is, right? Mm -hmm. It just means that anything that's done to try to meet the needs of somebody to have it be access readily accessible. But we also have undue hardship. Okay, but you in order to show that you have an undue hardship, and you don't make and you can't make the accommodation, Uh, it pretty much is an application with the Internal Revenue Service because they have to decide whether or not you are, uh, you have an undue hardship. So you can't just say, I have an undue hardship. You have to prove that you have an undue hardship before you are able to get that exception. Now, the kind of exceptions will not come from a hotel chain, not a chance. They're not going to come from a university. They're not going to come from any kind of business like that. It's going to come from the mom and pop or the mom and mom or the pop and pop. Uh, small stores that have two steps to get into the deli in the middle of Philadelphia. That's that's where the reasonable accommodations may fail. And the they should then have a sign that says, let us know when you're here. We'll bring your sandwich out. So usually in places that we see, for example, state, local, government, anything that has to do, I'll just say Philadelphia Parks and Rec Department. Uh-uh, they can't do an undue hardship thing. No. Mm-mm. So it really, if you're if you were in a hotel chain, they're they're not gonna get an undue hardship. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. And I have a question for you about consulting. Correct, that was pretty much your primary role, just consultant. Can you give yep. some tips um, for new APE teachers who might have to jump into that role as a consultant and they're maybe collaborating with that general PE teacher who's been there 30 years and has socks older than that new APE teacher? That's the joke Barry likes to use. Uh, so what tips can you give new APE teachers on consultation? Build a partnership with your general phys ed teacher. And again, like everything, what do you have? How else can you use it? So in my head, that applies to the space, that applies to the equipment, and for sure it applies to the teacher. So I had, uh, over the years, I had teachers that when I first started, I was just talking to a gal in the Cedar Rapids School District and she said, you know, Ann, she said, these guys are just terrible. She said, they sit in the back and they fold their arms and pull their hats down. I said, in the first in-service I did for the PE teachers in one district, that was exactly what they did to me. And they didn't want to be even taught anything. So it was like, uh uh-oh, we have an issue here. So one, I I had to shake it up a bit. So like with all kids or teachers, novel approach. So the next day, I, next time I had to do an in-service, I switched the room so that they had to be up front. But the other thing that I had to learn how to do is what are they already really good at? So what they didn't realize is that they had skills to bring to bear. So even if they were coaches in basketball, and I went into one and it's like, 
well, you know, we're teaching basketball. What am I supposed to do with this kid? Haven't you noticed, you know, he's in a wheelchair and I'm teaching basketball. And, and it's like, well, yes, I did notice that. But one, it's your job to plan for everybody ahead of time. And two, you already know as a coach how to task analyze. So how do you make this easier? You know, instead of how do you, how do you focus in on a, on a high level skill? How do you focus in on a beginning skill? So finding where can you connect and, um, and then I, another technique that worked, cause I had a lot of people that were like, oh, no way, you know, don't want you here. And those are the people that need you the most. One of the, one of the techniques that seemed to work best was if I offered, you know, they'll say that won't work. That won't work. That won't work. I tried that. That won't work. Um, and this is a, this is a great technique for teachers as well as kids. I said, let me teach, just let, let me teach the class. What do, you, what do you want? You know, what's your lesson? What's the plan? Let me teach it. And sometimes I fell flat on my face. <laughs> and that is a good thing for them to see. And it's good for kids to see you do that. I remember once I was working with kids in an offsite BD program and we were doing volleyball and we were trying to, you know, stay in our areas and communicate. And so I yell, I've got it, you know, and I, and I completely whiffed the ball. And these little kids are, you know, um, and I said, I missed it. And it was like, I, I just watched the room change. So figure out what are they good at? Start where they are comfortable. Add a few things. The easiest, the easiest tool, the easiest lever to jump on for me is the equipment one. If you can bring in a variety of equipment or show them an instructional strategy that is easy and will work, that's the quickest way. We have a lot of stuff in like gen ed, phys ed, um, like say um, scholastics, so that's a it's a it's a game. We had that started. Cindy um, Spin Slade started with basketball. Now it's in all sports, but it provides visuals. It provides them in multiple languages. It provides op, um, lots of options for in getting involved and naturally works. So start where they are, build a relationship, be willing to fall on your face, but make friends and just and. Start where you can make a difference. I mean, don't start with everything. You know, I don't ever start with, you know, you need to write an IEP goal. Um, and the kids don't go home and say, hey, you know, mom, they didn't, they didn't teach to my IEP goal. So take yourself off of the hook. Um, be willing to make mistakes. Know that you will. Nobody learns anything by getting it right the first time. My bag of tricks of things that didn't work when I first started was enormous in comparison to... Now the bag of tricks that works is way bigger, but start wherever you can, however you can. Great, thank you. Other questions from the audience? Okay, thinking about summer and adapted aquatics and getting students outside and enjoying you know, recreation activities. Uh, I had a person talk to us about outfitting gear and equipment for our students and for um, people who needed accommodations. And I really like that term outfitting, like outfitting the kayak for someone who needed some kind of support. Um, so can either of you talk a little bit about different options for maybe outfitting, like if we think about kayaks or stand up paddle boards or just anything that we can help support our students, even in the pool? Beach wheelchair would be a big one. One being able oh, to get that. from the vehicle across. Um, and the other thing that I see 
lots of places, but it's easy to have in the trunk of your car is like snow fencing, that orange stuff that rolls up. You can roll that across sand and then a chair can readily roll across that. The other big thing I would say is Monica's huge area is instruction. Kids on the autism spectrum in particular, that's a group, many of them die from drowning and many of them are attracted to water. So making sure that kids are taught to swim. And in Iowa, we have mud holes. So if a kid goes under, we don't see them. You know, so outfitting there would be, make sure kids are in life jackets. And I'll turn it over to Monica. Yeah, thank you, Ann. Those are some great suggestions. So, you know, life jackets uh, that have to be Coast Guard approved are important, but I'd like to talk to you about something I discovered uh, several years ago, and that was a website called PFD-A, and it is an international adapted life jacket company. It's the only life jacket that is um, made for our students um, who, whose bodies may not readily either fit into a regular PFD or that their head doesn't come up with the regular PFD. So it's PFD-A, um, thank you, Melissa. And so some of them look very strange, the PFDs, but I use them actually as swim instruction assisting reasonable accommodations. But those are some things that we haven't really talked about anywhere um, because many children like with cerebral palsy or spina bifida whose body is a little bit different than who they make PFD fours in the United States, you know, um, the PFDA. And the other thing that I wanted to talk a, a little bit about is I like these floating mats from Sprint Aquatics that have little holes in it. We call them the cheese mat. I like to have them around because getting in and out of the kayak or paddleboard when you can't pull it all the way onto land, you got to get out onto something instead of having three people trying to hold this person. These floating mats are great. And I actually use them for seizures. So that's, uh, that's a really good thing to have the seizure mat around. And again, Sprint Aquatic, I call it the cheese mat, but it's not called that. It's called the floating mat with holes in it, something like that. Um, it's various colors. And lastly, um, what would be, you know, really, you know, important, which is the most important thing in any adapted aquatics program is a trained and certified adapted aquatics person. Now, because we don't have a national certification, having at least a trained either water safety instructor or a Y progressive swim instructor or a lifeguard or a starfish progressive swim instructor, somebody who is trained and knows about the dangers of water. Lastly, the even, you know, putting a life jacket on every child with autism, great, great idea if we're in open water. But if we're swimming laps and we're in a life jacket, my students who are on my Special Olympics team are not wearing a life jacket, they're swimming laps. So I um, make sure that there's a one-on-one -on -one and that one-on-one -on -one holds a, a lifeguard rescue tube with them at all times. And I don't know if you've ever done open water swimming, but there is about a $20 
piece of equipment that deflates and can be just held in your hand and then you blow it up on site. And it's just a little belt that snaps. It has a little tiny piece of the belt come off. And then there is a tube that deflates behind it. So let's go to the mud hole. And when somebody goes down, that tube is floating on the top of the water. I do some open water lifeguarding and everybody has to have one of those on. It does not disturb your swim stroke. And it lets me know where you are if you're not on top of the water anymore. Monica, what are those called again? <laughs> We're frantically Googling all this stuff for our summer aquatics program. <laughs> well, um, it's, it's not a personal flotation device, nor is a Coast Guard approved, but it's an open water swim buoy, okay? Open water swim buoy. Okay. Open water swim buoy. Personal swim buoy, not the kind that you swim around when you're doing a triathlon, okay? Open water swim buoy. But I can also put it in the, um, the comments on the Facebook Live. Okay, great. This is the orange thing, like... Yes, it's either This is what Michelle has when she's swimming. Oh, she swims. That is right. Okay. That is correct. Shout that out, Michelle, right here. <laughs> and I do, she and I do both do open water swimming and it trails behind us and it's really fabulous. Doesn't get in the Excellent. way of your workout. These uh, mud holes that you all speak of are new to us. <laughs> right. Right. In the Midwest. Well, I grew up around the Great Lakes and um, Iowa has rivers and they think they have lakes. And I'm like, no, you can't see the bottom. So um, the swim buoy, Monica, that I had never thought of that. That is brilliant for rivers because the other thing, it's 90 degrees and you don't want to be zipped up in a, um, a personal flotation device and sweating your, um, like crazy. So it's another alternative. So I love that. Thank you. And they're, they're cheap too. I love that even better. <laughs> Perfect. Um, you know what, Amanda? Great. Also, could you get the link to Monica's aquatics book? That would be great yes. as well to share. Uh, that's a yeah, really great resource. Lots of different aquatic activities, games, uh, aquatic assessments. So that's another really good resource. And on that, Monica, how many programs across the country do you think have an adapted aquatics program because I think there's not many that is unknown at this time we just finished a survey and we were able to get some really good opinions of people with disabilities about aquatics and instructors about things and coaches and parents um, look for that in the International Journal of Aquatic Research and Education, maybe next year. We, we got we to start writing. It. <laughs> but we don't have that information. I am currently on a big spin. Like that might be something that I am going to be looking at, but it's really hard. We need, we need some solid criteria to determine if it's an adapted aquatics program. Do we call it an adapted aquatics program because it serves people with disabilities or that means every swim program, every swim program in the United States <laughs> serves somebody with a disability? Or do we say sure. that if it's based on assessment, there's different placements and there is a person who knows what they're doing to do the assessment? That's an adapted aquatics program. Once we start getting this rolling out this national credential from Starfish, you know, we'll then at least be able to count how many instructors there are. And then maybe in five years, we'll have some better data. But 
that's that really is unknown. Uh, I just want you to know that in my retirement, one of the things that I do is look up adapted aquatics instructor programs in every state and like look at them. So I have 64 on a list right now, just waiting to see more things about it, but that's just on the surface. Very good. Any other questions for Anne or Monica? Uh, hi everyone. Thank you for um, thank you for presentations. I'm from Belgium, so um, it's quite quite late, quite getting late here. So um, in, in Belgium, we don't have a specific certification for uh, adapted swimming or um, adapted aquatics. Call it whatever you want. We're trying to to get to the organiza- organizations because swimming is is mostly in the hands of of, of grassroots sport clubs. So sporting sport federations is that the correct term are are um the ones in 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 charge of of educational uh plans for for regular swimming programs so if you want to teach or coach you will have to go to a coaching school and you can get a certificate what what are what are the important things we we need to look into if we want a certification at the national at the national level because right now we we are starting with small meetings we're starting with small professional development things but we're we're searching for yeah what 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 do we want them to know what do we want to teach new coaches can you give some can you share some thoughts absolutely well first of all starfish aquatics is an international company And um, if you go on starfishaquatics.org, you can then go through swim instructor curriculum, go to adapted aquatics and put your name in. And as soon as the curriculum comes up, you'll be sent an email. So there is no reason why Starfish would not then extend this out to Belgium and any country who is looking for this. Um, at all. So this that's one of the reasons why we went with Starfish is because it, it has an international flavor. Again, starfishaquatics.org. I'll put it in. Thank you. Somebody did. And, you know, basically we're looking, put your name in that you're interested in the adapted aquatics instructor. Everyone could do that. Um, we had a false start in October, we were ready to have a course and kind of roll it out from a face-to-face perspective. And we just couldn't, I we just couldn't get enough parents in October to say that they would bring their children with disabilities to a place where people just flew in from the whole, you know, all around the United States and feel safe about that. So instead we pivoted and now we uh two-thirds of the course will be online, but you can have me come to your place and do a three-day class. Great. Um, Monica, with that, I signed up. Amanda's signing up. We think that's really important with because our summer camp. What's the the cost cost for like our like our camp staff if we wanted to do something like that? That's still to be determined a little, Melissa, but most of the cost, Starfish is making the cost for the certificate like so tiny, like 40 bucks. Most of the most of the costs come from flying me there, housing me, feeding me and paying me. So it could be three thousand dollars or if it's in Philly, it could be a buck seventy five. 
you know. <laughs> but the starfish is keeping the actual certification piece very, very, very small because all of us have been working on it for three years are volunteers. So there's not any cost to making the course yet. But, you know, it is a, it, it will be something that I will do as an instructor trainer for, a, you know, a retirement thing. But it, it will all depend on, you know, Melissa, you tell me to come out there. I'll stay at your house. You're going to feed me, <laughs> you know, costs are costs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Amanda and I are going to write a grant. We'll, we'll see you out here on the West Coast pretty soon. <laughs> I am happy to do that. I am happy to do that. I can't wait to get that, that rolling. What's going to happen is that we're going to, our October course, we're bring, we were going to bring in people who we knew are high-level adapted aquatics instructors already, higher ed people. So bring them in. And in one weekend, I would train them in the to be an instructor in the new system and they would then be an instructor trainer also because they're an instructor trainer and everything else already so um, we're that's our going to be our first goal is to get this group of 12 to 20 people out there so it's not the Monica Lepore show you know that's not what I want to do that's a pretty good show though <laughs> it's an amazing show this course is amazing amazing okay great yeah, Keep us like posted with that because I have some Slippery Rock students that might be interested. We, I, that would be really great. Um, this course, finally, you know, I'm retired. So I get to think about things I didn't have time to think out, about before. And in it, we talk about PFDs. We've really not talked about PFDs except to use them as flotation devices in teaching swimming. We have not talked about veterans. We have not talked about PTSD. We, the course that used to be from AFERD that got dropped, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the last eight years or, or seven years. Beside that, now I have a lot of time to think like, hey, how come we didn't talk about infants and toddlers with disabilities? You know, they have some head control issues. And so now we have separate sections for those kinds of things. And Anne Hughes, as many of you know, Anne Hughes is very involved in, in this, this course with me. Um, there, uh, so is Dave Lorenzi, you know, and a group of a lot of people who would be loving to come to your place and teach. Great. Well, thank you both. We're at our time now. Much, much appreciated for your expertise. You were both fantastic as always. Thank you so much for being uh, leaders, pioneers in the field of APE and for all that you do.